What's up, everybody? Um, this this is the podcast here. Um, just letting you know. And um, yeah, new episode, new episode. If you can't f- find me on Instagram at the BMF Podcast, B dot M dot F. Um, it'll be a you know you can find it. Um, definitely just give a shout out. Just uh, send a follow, and I will follow you. You know that is the B. BMF podcast B B dot M dot F podcast and you know find me follow me I'll follow back and you can give me a shout out you can give me you know you can you know you can give me a nice little shout out on the nice little shout out if you want to come on the podcast you can um one thing too that I want to do is I want to start traveling, you know, if, if you can't, we can, you know, I want to start traveling, you know, I want to do more, one thing I realized is, you know, podcasts always try to have you come to them, but they never come to you, um, and I want to start doing that, uh, very, I want to start doing that, so, very simple, you know, if you want to come on the podcast, message, you know, follow me, message me, um, you know, follow me, message me, you know, you could, send a message through you know apple you can send a message through spotify or other platforms but if you want to contact me instagram as i just mentioned is the one to go and hit me up and we'll schedule time and i'll come to you you know there's no place know how far i'll go and there's nowhere i'll there's nowhere that's too far for me to go and if you you know and just hit me up whether you're a coach or fighter or maybe you're just someone wants to shoot the shit just give me a heads up, you know, fellow martial artists, fellow podcasters, I'm here, you know, you know, just hit me up and we'll come on the platform. So, to start off this podcast, um, to start off, you know, we're going to talk about the one, the the big one of the weekend, you know, the one that I will be tuning in is One Fight Night, Mighty Mouse versus Marias 3. Ooh, and this one is going to be a motherfucker of a motherfucker. I mean, we have grappling, we have striking, we have MMA all around. This will be the first one championship event in the United States, and they're keeping all their rules, which I really thoroughly enjoy. So, with that being said, so let's let's begin. Okay, we're going to start with the bout one, the catchweight Muay Thai, Jackie Boutain versus Daindra Martin. I mean, this is this is a good little fight, good little start. It's at a catchweight, so usually catchweights, it all depends. You know, it, it's kind of one of those 50-50s, you know, where one fighter, you know, where the catchweight could benefit one fighter or it could benefit the other, you know. You won't really, you won't really know until the fight. So I'm not, you know, can't really make a pickup in that fight. But it is a good fight, you know. But it is a good fight regardless, you know. Both fighters are really good. Both fighters, I've seen them fight, you know. One, you know, Jackie, of course, she's, I, you know, Jackie seems to be the one that uses more of her hands, while Deandra seems to kind of use her kicks. But also, but, but. She seems to kind of go into the clinch. You know, it's hard to tell. You know, it's hard to tell with some certain fighters, you know, that don't really, they don't really have anything specific. You know, they're kind of more of like a jack of all trades. But definitely a good fight. This fight, it really comes down to who the catchweight is going to benefit. You know, 
you know, it's a catch weight of 131. So whoever benefits, you know, that's who will win the fight. Rini De Ritter versus Ty Rutolo. Well, this is going to be a, you know, Rini De Ritter, MMA known for a very big submissions fighter, has won a one championship. I believe it was the one championship middleweight title. Um, of course, he ended up losing that title. Uh, he won it off of Ang Lang Sang, and who's also fighting on the card, and then he also lost it. I, forget, I think he lost it to Ang Lang, or he lost to somebody else. But all I know is, I, yeah, no, no, never mind. He lost it to somebody else, but definitely um, the former middleweight champ. He's fighting Tai Rutolo in a middleweight submission grappling match. Now, this could be... Now, Ritter... Ritter is a definite, you know, he's an amazing grappler, but that's in MMA. We have to understand that grappling in MMA is not the same as grappling in, you know, grappling in grappling matches. Now, of course, you know, now, of course, due to the fact that I believe this fight will be in a cage, I don't think this will be in a ring, it will definitely, it will definitely... And it it'll definitely it does definitely kind of put the odds in Ritter's favor, you know, due to the fact that he is a due to the fact that you know he has experience in the cage, but the only thing that the only issue is is that he is that you know he's he's known for grappling with strikes, and usually when you take a really good like MMA grappler and you put him in a situation where he can't strike or utilize or strike or or get away with certain things that are considered bad habits and grappling matches well then it's a problem you know we saw that with you know Damian Meyer versus Gunnar Nelson Gunnar Nelson excellent MMA grappler but when he went up against a pure grappler it was it was just there was definitely it was like night and day definitely a difference you know Ang Long Ang Long Ang Lan no Ang La and Song versus Fane Rong uh, this is a middleweight bout. Oh, wow, he's fighting at middleweight. You know, this is very interesting. You know, Ong, you know, of course, he was a two-division champ. Um, he ended up, you know, of course, losing the middleweight belt, and then I believe he also lost the light heavyweight belt as well. Um, very exciting fighter, very heavy hands. His groundwork has always been very questionable. He's always had problems on the ground, but he is a very good... He's, still, he's a good fighter, nevertheless. You know, he's a good fighter, aggressive, strong... And, I mean, he's fighting in middleweight, which I always thought was the better weight class for him. I thought, you know, when he fought above, he was a bit too heavy. And I think that the, the, the weight compromised his performances a lot, you know, as we've seen in the past. But, uh, so this will be a very good fight. Um, Fane Rong, I mean, uh, he's, you know, he's a guy that can give him real problems. You know, he's a strong middleweight. He's a very strong middleweight you know, has, seems to have good groundwork from what I've seen, but, you know, I haven't, I hadn't gotten the opportunity to watch a lot on him, because just due to the fact that I've had, unfortunately, I've been on the road, and, you know, I've been on the road a lot, and, of course, I've had a lot of family, I have some family situations going on, so it's been very hard to cover a lot of certain these fighters, but definitely a good fight, um, definitely a good fight for Ong, but the question is, is, you know, if he doesn't, if he can't utilize those heavy hands, he's going to have some problems, you know. Definitely will have some issues. Sage Northcutt versus Ahmed Mujaba. 
I mean, I don't know. This is one of those fights. I mean, the last time Sage Northcutt fought was, I think, was it 2018? And we haven't seen him since. And the knockout that he experienced was a bad knockout. I mean, his whole, the, the, the literally the whole side of his face was cracked, like was literally fractured. You know, and he fought a killer, and, and I mean, and, and, and it wasn't, and it's no surprise, he fought a guy in Cosmo Alexander, who's one of the most avoided fighters in MMA, I mean, the UFC didn't even try to sign him, you know, for good reason, you know, multiple time Muay Thai champ, was a nightmare when he fought in MMA, fought in Bellator, fought in, you know, Legacy, and of course, uh, what's the other one, god damn it. Um, there was Legacy, and then there was RFL, you know, RFL before they merged, so yeah, he was a motherfucker, and you know, Sage Northcutt hasn't been, he hasn't been seen since, he's coming back, he's fighting at lightweight, which is ideal for him, I mean, it, which is very ideal for him, I mean, that's, that, that's his ideal weight class, we'll see how he does after this long layoff, I mean, he was looking good in the warm-ups, but I don't, I don't, I don't know. I, I really don't know about that, I, I don't know, I really don't know about that, and I'm not gonna, you know, I'm not gonna sit there and, you know, I'm not gonna sit there and say that he, he, that he'll win, because Ahmed could just straight destroy him, so, I mean, we'll see, you know, so we'll see, Roberto Saldic versus Sebastian Kadastam, I didn't really have the opportunity of looking into this fight. It's at welterweight. Um, it's a five. It's the fifth bout. Um, I haven't really got an opportunity to look at this fight or look at the fighters. So, well, I, I like I said, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna really give you a comprehensive breakdown on this one. You know, it, it's it's a definitely a fight go either or. Um, stamp, oh stamp, and of course. Stamp Fairtex versus Elise Anderson. This was a fight that was supposed to happen a long time, a couple months ago. Stamp Fairtex, that is my wife, okay? She is a hot little piece of ass. I will say it again. She is fine as hell, and she can kick ass. And I, I'm not going to lie. I love a woman who's extremely, who's attractive and can front kick you in the face. Oh, it is so sexy. And Stan Fairtex, that woman is a dime. And she will fuck your night up. I mean, she, for being somebody who's pure Muay Thai, she has had probably better success in MMA than most strikers that I've seen, both male and female. I mean, from winning a kickboxing title to a Muay Thai title, and then also winning the MMA Grand Prix at, you know, MMA Grand Prix as well. Which it's which crazy at anime which is crazy. This is a this is an MMA bout. Um, originally they were supposed to fight kickboxing, but Stamp pulled out. I believe it was an, an an injury on her part, which I believe it was like an injury on her part, or you know, or I think it was the other way around. I forget the details, but I do know they were supposed to fight. It was supposed to be kickboxing. The bout got canceled. Now they're fighting, and this one's MMA, which is very interesting given the fact that Stamp, Stamp's experience. She's won the Adam Weight Grand Prix in MMA. She's fought for a world title. I mean, she fought a she fought and defeated a high caliber wrestler. If anybody knows, 
the the wrestling in the east everyone is the best okay everyone is the best like there are there like people don't understand how good fighters are from the east like 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 they they are no which is they are no slouches at all they are nightmares i mean there's not one fighter there's not one wrestler male or female that you're not going to find that's high caliber you know it's it's a completely different level out there compared to the west which is why it's funny you have guys like josh thompson and you know even you know guys like uh jack slack saying that there's no wrestling which is complete other bullshit and she beat a very high caliber wrestler who was undefeated i believe like 300 matches she was a wrestler who came from india which has a lot of high level talent in wrestling and he she beat her not only did she beat her but she was she virtually beat her on the ground and was actually beating her where you know retroactively actively her opponent had the advantage so yeah i mean this is a fight that was supposed to happen a while back it's happening now which is good but the thing is this is an mma fight this is not a kickboxing fight which can prove to be in stamps favor but you know elise anderson i believe the last time i saw her she had some mma experience but i just think stamps experience in mma trumps hers um, but the stand-up wise, if the fight stands on the feet, which I'm pretty sure it will, it will definitely be competitive. Elise Anderson has got nasty hands. She's got nasty combinations with her kicks and her hands. I mean, she's her combos are nasty and they're powerful, and that could give Stamps some problems. You know, Stamp does take a little bit too much damage at times, especially in situations where she shouldn't because she's such a scrappy, she's such a scrappy fighter. So that may, so the odds, you know, so the odds, so if that's the, so the odds can pull into Al Elise's favor if she keeps it more of a striking bout and allow, and keeps throwing and throws those hard combinations on Stamp. But once again, Stamp has the MMA experience, so that could prove to be in her favor. And Stamp is very sneaky with the elbows. You know, that's one thing I noticed. Whenever she's dealing with a fighter that has better hands, she whips out those elbows and is very sneaky with them. So, and that's something that Elise is going to have to watch out for. I mean, you know, so definitely, it it is definitely going to be a good, that's a fight I will be watching very carefully. Um, grappling, flyweight submission grappling. Mikey Musamechi versus Asmoa Alamawari. I mean, Mikey is just one of the best grapplers in the world. I mean, he is just, when it comes to submission grappling, he is the best, he's one of the best in the world, pound for pound right now. And, you know, I've always said, you know, to, to beat a guy like him is, you have to, you is, is basics. You know, pressure passing, controlling the legs, keeping him in one position, you know, that that's how you beat him. And more importantly, I mean, and if you, and more importantly, you know, you just, you just can't be in his guard. You either have to pass his guard and control him or you have to attack his legs. And, but a lot of guys don't do that. They immediately fall into this battle where they start trying to beat him at his own game in the leg department and you're not going to win. You're you're not going to win, you know? So we'll see if, you know, Asmoa can do it. I mean, you know, every dog, every dog has its day, but, uh, I mean, but Mikey's just super slick and super skilled, and I just don't see him losing this match, you know, it's hard to, it's hard, 
you know, it's hard dealing with somebody as skilled as Mikey and, you know, and trying to, it's hard and not only compete, but actually beat them. But I've always said the basic of grappler can make the most basic, but even the basics, but as I've said many times before, the basics can always make the most skilled grappler look like an amateur. Okay. The most, the basics can always make even the most skilled grappler look like an amateur. And is, and if Ozma, and if Ozma and Ozmaha can do, can, can utilize the basics and make, utilize them effectively, he can make Mikey look like an amateur and beat him, you know, so. Rotang versus Edgar Tabares. I mean, this is for the flyaway Muay Thai World Champion. This fight, once again, was supposed to happen a while ago, just like Stamp. But Rotang pulled out due to injury. This fight, I mean, it's just going to be a Rotang fight. You know, Rotang marching forward, looking for the knockout, looking to beat his opponent down. And Edgar, you know, he's looking to, you know, win that belt. He wants to win that belt. He wants to shock the world. Um, yeah, this, this is gonna, you know, when it's a raw tank fight, it's gonna be exciting, so don't hold your breath. My Demetrius Johnson versus Adriano Marias. Oh man, so what's crazy, this is a fight that th- there's just no way you can't be on the edge of your feet. You know, Marias beat Mighty Mouse with a knee on the ground. Then Demetrius Johnson comes back and beats Marias with what? A knee on the ground. So this is one of those fights where it's like, it can really go either way. You know, Adriano Marias proved that he can compete with the best of the best, you know, by beating, you know, he was already a top dog. But the question was, if he were to fight somebody on Mighty Mouse's level, how would he do? And he proved that he can't both in one and two, even though in the second fight, he didn't get the results he wanted. So that's just the gist of it. Um, but if Mighty Mouse, you know, but Mighty Mouse showed, you know, but Mighty Mouse, on the other hand, showed that he can compete under against the best of he, he can compete against the best against anyone, you know, whether it's Eastern or Western MMA rules, which is very hard. It's hard enough to win one belt, let alone win another belt in another organization under a different rule set. And Mighty Mouse proved he could compete against anyone under any rule set in in any organization, East or West. I mean, so this is one of those fights, I mean, I don't really know. I mean, Mighty Mouse, of course, he's, he's always improving. He's been training with Henry Cejudo, which I'll talk about his fight in a little bit. Um... Definitely, he's got, he's definitely got, you know, his footwork, his ability to switch stances, his cutting of angles, his setups, you know, his setups, I I think have improved greatly since his time in the UFC, you know, I think before, you know, he didn't really do, he wasn't, he didn't really utilize a lot of setups, he never really set a lot of traps, he was, he was beating a lot of guys by kind of just overwhelming them with data, just kind of throwing things out there, and then if something sticks, he would just continue with it and build off of it versus now you know since fighting in one championship and I think that is due to the fact that he's fighting under rules dude under rules where you know you can't just go for takedowns you know because going for takedowns have dire consequences even though that's the same case in western MMA but the consequences aren't as dire compared to eastern MMA 
you know, he, he started to be a little more smarter. He's, he, he began to utilize more setups, have set up more traps, which is why he was able to successfully beat Raw Tang in a special rules fight and compete with them on the feet, I might add. And he was able to successfully win the flyweight World Grand Prix and, you know, win the belt off of Adriano Marias. So, this is one of those fights, man. It's just, I don't really... Who the fuck knows? And who the fuck knows? Yeah, I, I really don't know. It's just a who the fuck knows fight. It, it's just, it'll always be a who the fuck knows fight. And with that, I mean, I just, I really don't know. But definitely, it's a five-round fight. It's very exciting. Um, I will say after the second fight, you know, Adriano... You know, I will say after the second fight, Adriano does a little lack in the cardio department. I think Mighty Mouse is a little better in the cardio department. I think Adriano, he's one of those guys that he's strong early, but because he puts so much like power into everything that he has, he, he tends to slow himself down. The other thing, too, is, is like when it comes to mixing it up, I think Mighty Mouse is better. Adriano, he's one of those guys that he can only fight you in one particular area he could either fight you completely grappling or he could fight you completely striking but but the thing is though is hit what was that oh i didn't hear that but here's the thing though you know but here's the thing though adriano you know even though he yes he's a brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt once again he has shown that his ground striking is really nasty hence why as we saw you know against mighty mouse you know hence what we saw he hurt mighty mouse multiple times and once again knocked him out so with that being said there's a you know and that's one of the things that concerns me is even though yes he can't he can't mix it up it really doesn't fucking matter, you know, because either way, he has that ability, it really doesn't fucking matter, because he has that ability of just hurting you, especially on the ground, you know, Mighty Mouse has to be really careful on the ground with this guy, because this guy is not just going to attack him with submissions, he's going to attack him with, you know, with grit, with ground striking too you know he's gonna drop elbows he's gonna drop punches he's gonna throw knees remember knees to the down opponent are allowed so those knees are gonna really be a factor you know um what helped mighty mouse in the last fight was his guard you know was was his guard it was definitely you know being able to fight off his back which he greatly improved and you know not keeping yourself locked in a position but having a very mobile guard constantly working from the bottom whether it was throwing strikes or trying to get up or maybe throw up some submissions which helped him so that will definitely help him it, it, i will say clearly adriano is the better ground fighter you know is the better ground fighter but mighty mouse definitely showed improvements which helped him you know in their last fight which helped him win um but adriano's length you know, once again, it's very troublesome. You have to remember, when Mighty Mouse knocked out Adriano, it was because of the setup. When Adriano knocked out Mighty Mouse, it was because Adriano has the fucking power. And that's the big thing, is we know Adriano can hurt Mighty Mouse. We've seen him do it multiple times. He's even knocked him out. So, th this is like one of those things, like, even if, let's say, Mighty Mouse mixes it up, all it takes is one. And that's it you know, so from, and for Mighty Mouse to knock out Adriano, he has to, he has to set it up, he has to set up the traps, he has to set up the attacks, he can't just go gun ho and just, and, you know, and hope 
for the best like he has to set everything up he has to create traps and you know set up mo and take advantage of moments and opportunities so that's really what it is so um all in all this is this is definitely an exciting fight and uh, be careful who you put your money on so i <laughs> just don't hold your breath and don't you know and if you're betting money on this fight um uh just just make sure you're not betting the house that's all i gotta say this fight definitely is gonna be more exciting than the ufc tomorrow i'm actually i don't even think i'm really gonna watch the ufc tomorrow if i do i'll go to buffalo wild beans and drink drink a beer and that's it because truth of the matter is one championship has the better card the ufc card tomorrow is not that great i mean let's face it the only reason they have the card tomorrow is because to try to compete with one championship which is making their u.s debut which we all know is going to be far superior to the pretty much all the MMA organizations, you know, in the Western area, in the Western area, due to the fact of their rules, due to the fact that they allow knees on the ground and their judging and their rules and judging are different, which of course makes leads to the fights being more exciting. And the fact that they're not just showing MMA, but they're also showing, you know, other martial arts is what's also going to build up popularity in the West. You know, right now, nobody's talking about it because, you know, of course, the UFC right now is trying to overshadow everyone. And, of course, Bellator has been doing a shitty job in their promotion. And so has PFL. So, but all in all, you know, like I said, one championship, they're the game changer. And I don't see this card not being exciting. I really don't. You may have some go-to decisions but there's no way those decisions won't be exciting. So stay tuned and enjoy. All right, part two. UFC 288. Of course, it's only fair that I do a breakdown of this. Um, phew, there was a lot of canceled fights. Jesus Christ. Bryce Mitchell's got canceled. Um, then the opponent that he was going to face. Then his new opponent canceled. Oliver Daryush got moved, so yeah, there was a lot. Um, so of course we're gonna start with the one, the only cat, Chrome Gracie. Chrome Gracie versus Charles Charles Jordan. I mean, Chrome Gracie. We all know what's gonna happen here. You know, he he comes from that Hicks and Gracie lineage. A lot of pressure. Um, throws a lot of sidekicks to the knee. Throws a lot of sidekicks to the knee. Takes you down, puts you on the ground, submits you. I mean, we all know the story. He gets you on the ground, you're fucked. Doesn't matter if he takes you down or he pulls guard. He gets you on the ground in any what in any shape or form of way, you're fucked. Which one thing I will say is very lacking in MMA. A lot of guys are relying too much on the takedown, especially. Sorry about that. A car drove by. Um, especially given the fact that it's like, if you can't get him on their, on, if you can't get your opponent on their butt, everybody assumes, oh, then I can't do anything to him on the ground. But here's the thing, like, you don't need to get them, you don't need to take them down, you don't need to go for a takedown or take them completely down in order to get them to the floor or utilize grappling. You could utilize grappling on the stand-up, you could utilize grappling when they're on one knee, or if they're on both knees, or what, it, you know, and... And if you can't take him down with an upper or lower body, lower body takedown, pull fucking guard. 
I mean, there's a lot of guys who have done it. Yes, is it a is it a tactic, you know, you know, is it is it a tactic that I would suggest you use all the time? Absolutely not. You know, but it, it, pulling guard, I would say is in my opinion more of a last resort than it is really something you want to initiate from the from the jump. But it is a tactic that should be utilized. Um, it is a tactic to be explored. Um, of course, you know, jiu-jitsu guys, their mindset is fall to your back, play off of your back. But if you talk to a lot of judo guys or even catch wrestlers, they'll tell you you should never fall to your back. If you're gonna do, if you're gonna pull guard, if you're if you're gonna pull guard, you should either do it in the form of a submission or in the form of maybe in the form of like a throw, like a backwards roll, or maybe one of a backwards roll or one particular move where you fall to your back and you push your opponent up by their hips and then you spin them around and then you sweep it and then you sweep and get on top. That that's what you should do. You should never fall to your back. If you're gonna do any attempt, if you're ever gonna do anything where you fall to your back, it should be either in the form of a submission or a reversal you know never fall to your back and play off of your back um that that's the way to look at it of course you know jiu-jitsu guys they beg to differ um you know they beg to differ which there there is some sorry there is some merit to that i mean falling to your back you know, falling to your back is something that's very interesting. You know, falling to your back and you pulling guard. But either way, but yeah, for great for Crone to you to win this fight, he's gonna have to look for every opportunity to and every opportunity that fight remotely gets to the ground or even touches the ground, he's gonna have to take advantage of it. If you can't take him down, pull guard. If you can't pull guard, go for the takedown. If you can't get for the lower body takedown, go for the upper body takedown. But explore all your options. A lot of jujitsu guys don't really explore the options. They either go all the way into one or they go all the way into the other. You know, they either go completely in the wrestling department or they go completely in the pulling guard department. They never really explore both that was the issue with Damian Maya you know in the beginning Damian Maya pulled guard he used to pull guard in his early days when he fought you know at middleweight and then as time went on he got married to the wrestling he started utilizing you know and stopped pulling guard which that's one of the one things that made him so successful was the fact that he wouldn't just shoot for a takedown he would also pull guard on you which was very off-putting and was very difficult for guys you know who would try to maybe sprawl and stuff takedown so that's pretty much what it is and that that's one significant thing that crone brings into this fight is that he's not afraid to pull guard a lot of guys you know, a lot of jiu-jitsu guys, they're, they're afraid to pull guard or they, they have this idea they or they have this idea that pulling guard is a cardinal sin. It's not, it's, it's really not, you know, depending on the, you know, it, it really, it's really not depending on the intent, you know, that's pretty, that's pretty what it is, is like, you know, depending on the situation and the intent, then yeah, pulling guard isn't necessarily a, a bad thing. you know, it pulling guard is not necessarily a bad thing, so yeah, um, moving on, Mosef, Elav versus Diego Lopez, I mean, 
pretty much these are two prospects looking to make a name for themselves and they are on the main card so that's pretty much what this fight will be most likely it'll either be exciting or it'll end in the decision usually the second fight usually the, the the second fight going into the main card is usually the one that's the decision so i wouldn't be surprised if it's a decision i mean they really got nothing to lose neither guy because they're they're over crowded by the bigger names um and all that stuff Jessica Andrade versus Jan Ixonin. I don't know how to pronounce that fucking name. But, I mean, what? Oh, and this is at strawweight, surprisingly. It's not at women's flyweight, which you would think Jessica Andrade, after losing to, you know, Blanchfield, you know, after losing to Blanchfield, would want to fight at flyweight and avenge that loss. But, um... I think the reason why she took this fight was because she wanted to be active and she wanted to get right back in the win column, which, you know, makes sense. You know, she's coming off of a, she's coming off of a rough fight with Aaron Blanchfield. And, and the thing about that fight, and this is something I'm going to point out going into this next fight, which is the co-main event, is, you know, she just came out of a fight. When you, when you fight back to back like that, there's two things that could happen. It could either go really good or it could go really bad. It could go really good due to the fact that you don't have a camp. You know, you didn't have a camp, so you're warmed up. You don't really have to really train because you're, you're already in fight shape. It's just a matter of keeping the weight down. Or it can go really bad because usually when you go through a fight like that, especially when you go through whether, whether it's a, when you go or when you already go through a fight, whether it's a three round or a five rounder, you know, you're going to be, you're going to be worn out. You know, you're going to be worn out, especially once you go through the fight, the adrenaline comes down, you start to feel a little bit of aches and pains. And the other thing you have to understand too, is the travel. The travel also plays into effect as well. You know, Going into the Aaron Blanchfield fight, she had just come out of a fight that was in Brazil that was like almost like a week, two weeks prior, and then ended up, you know, going into this fight last minute on a like a day's notice or was it a week's notice against Aaron Blanchfield, and it was like you know when you when you have people have to understand when you just come out of a fight and then you travel along for and then you travel like miles and then you travel whether it's across state lines or overseas you know when you travel a long ways like that that definitely affects your performance you know the jet lag the fact that now you're on the come down from after having a three-round fight and then now you got to get yourself rev back up and then your body because your bodies are because you're instinctively when you just come out of a fight your body goes into this relaxation mode and you know it goes into this relaxation mode which now, now that you're going into a fight back-to-back, -back, you're going to have to get yourself revved back up again, which is very hard to do, especially if you're flying overseas or across state lines. It's definitely hard because your body's completely relaxed, and then on top of that, you're going to have to deal with the jet lag, which... I'm pretty, which I more than certain, which I can definitely bet money on, played a factor in her fight against Aaron Blanchfield. I mean, we saw this with Donald Cerrone. You know, he came out of a fight with Miles Drury. A week later, he fought Vincent Henderson. Did not look that great. Okay, he he didn't. He you know he won the fight against Benson, but he just didn't look great. You know, because you know traveling over, you know traveling like that, going immediately into another fight, just right after you come 
out of a out of a fight and then you're traveling a long distance as well and even if you're not traveling a long distance just traveling in itself going from point a to point b right after you came out of a fight is very difficult you know is very difficult especially if you're the older fighter which i think is jessica Andrade the older fighter oh no the chinese chick is the older fighter never mind about that but um you know but she's had she's taking time to relax and heal and recover which you know she's given herself a good fair amount of time so i can't really say that the that the adrenaline dump and the travel you know is going to affect her you know she's taking some time off she's got her she's got her bearings and now she's you know back on the horse which was smart she gave her some gave herself some time you know donald cerrone made that mistake and there's a lot of fighters who made that mistake um when it comes to yan you know yan yan is good but she's not great i mean her fight with Mackenzie dern i mean Mackenzie Dern was able to get her on the ground and control her and go the distance with her. And, you know, Jan was the better striker, but Jan couldn't really do much to her, you know, and Mackenzie Dern doesn't have great striking. And, you know, one of the things I remember the Mackenzie Dern fight, as I've seen, if you just keep the pace on her, if you just keep the pressure, if you don't give her room to breathe, she has issues. You know, the problem with Mackenzie Dern in that fight was she didn't necessarily maintain the positions that she got because of her of her grappling, which that was the frustrating thing about that fight. She didn't she didn't maintain those positions, you know, instead of just keeping the back control in the back or if you had or, or if you have her pinned in a particular position maintain the position and drop punches that was the mistake jessica andrade on the other hand it is going to maintain position and not only that she is going to be violent when she gets her hands on you okay jessica andrade when she takes you down she doesn't just take you down she picks you up and slams you okay there there's no just a takedown she picks you up she slams you on your head and if you're still alive she drops bombs on you i mean her pressure you know her hands her her, her pressure her power her strength it's very difficult to deal with and i think when it comes to the power department i think she's got yon beat and i think her pressure is going to be a problem with for yon as well i know yon is she's training with team alpha male but team alpha male is their style is beating being the better athlete and to beat jessica andrade you have to be the better martial artist and i think yan going into this fight is going to try to do what she did in the mckenzie dern fight and out athlete jessica andrade which i think is going to go really bad so all in all on to the co-main event the co-main event Bilal Muhammad versus Gilbert Burns. Okay, so just so this is kind of the same issue as Jessica Andrade when she fought Aaron Blanchfield, as I pointed out. Gilbert Burns is coming off of a fight that wasn't that long ago. It was like at least a week, two weeks ago. Like it wasn't that long ago that he just came out of a fight with Jorge Masvidal. And he's going into this fight. And as I said before, when you jump into a fight right after you come out of a fight, and not only that, you're traveling hundreds and thousands of miles overseas to this fight you know you got to think he's flying from brazil you know and then he's he fought he's he flied from brazil to florida and now he's flying to new jersey which is where this fight takes place that's a lot of travel 
that's a lot. You know, you got to think you're, you're making your body not only having you're forcing your body to perform back to back, cut weight, and you're going to have to readjust to the jet lag again. You're going to have to readjust to the time difference and the jet lag again, just as you just right after you came out of the same situation, you know, when he fought in Brazil back when he fought. I'm sorry, not Brazil. Florida, Florida. I'm I'm sorry. Florida, Florida, Florida. Sorry, I I totally fucked that up. My apologies. He fought in Florida, and now he's jumping into a fight. And as I pointed out with Jessica Andrade with Aaron Blanchfield, you're coming off of a fight. You're flying miles across the country into another fight. You're having to make weight back to back while also having to perform back to back. And combine that with the travel, with the travel, you know, with the jet lag that comes from the travel, that's going to, that's going to cause issues. That's going to, that, that could most definitely affect his performance. You know, when you, you know, coming into a fight just right after you got out of a fight. And then not only that, you're traveling hundreds and thousands of miles to the, to that destination is going to affect, is going to affect you, you know, now will it be the factor in the fight it could possibly will it you know it could possibly will could it not be if could it could possibly could it not be yeah you're it could not be as well i mean you know i don't see Bilal muhammad as the better striker i don't think i do see him as the better wrestler when it hits the ground, I mean, Gilbert Burns is a monster. But the thing with Gilbert Burns is, is he's a guy who's all about be hitting harder and being, you know, being bigger, stronger, faster, and hitting harder. Once Gilbert Burns explodes, even just one explosion, he immediately starts to slow down. That pace is gone. He can't keep the same pace. We saw this against Jorge Masvidal, who was way past his prime, and... I hate to say it, his performance against Jorge Masvidal was not that good, okay? He didn't look that good against a, a old Jorge Masvidal. I know a lot of people are, like, jerking his chain and saying he had a dominant performance, but that performance was not that dominant, nor was it really that impressive. I mean, he didn't look great against an old Jorge Masvidal, which says a lot, and he's jumping into a fight right out the gate after already having a fight, traveling hundreds of thousands of miles to new jersey having to make weight back to back that's gonna be a problem you know that that's gonna be a problem i know the weasel said something about him not having to make weight but if you watch go on the, his instagram or as you know henry hoof's instagram as well and including the um Sanford MMA there's clips of him cutting weight so yeah having to make weight back to back just coming out of a fight having to make weight back to back having to perform back to back traveling hundred thousand miles to that destination where you're gonna have to where you're gonna have to do all of that it, it definitely the odds are not really in Gilbert Burns favor especially coming off coming off a of performance against an old Jorge Masvidal where he didn't look that great if you don't if you don't look that great this is I, I remember seeing the same thing with Colby Covington I said you know he didn't look that great against an old Jorge Masvidal what the fuck makes anybody think that he's going to win a world title he didn't look that good against an old Jorge Masvidal what what the fuck but but but, but I, I get it stupid is as stupid does you know for the most part you know you got a lot of crackhead fans but the truth but that's the truth you know and 
that performance, it doesn't really look that good. Now, if he's able to somehow finish Bilal Muhammad, great. But I don't uh, – great. But but if he can't do it within that one explosion or that second explosion, he's done. You know, Bilal Muhammad, Bilal Muhammad he's not explosive, but he's a, he's got that long-distance stamina where he'll take over as the fight progresses. His wrestling will keep it on the feet. He's not that great of a striker, but – he does have the striking to modest he does have a modest level striking to where he can set up the takedown and mix it up and score points and just pretty much win by a boring decision but he could finish you know as a, as we've seen in the past once gilbert burns slows down he is pretty much a lamb to the slaughter especially after that first especially after that second explosion the first explosion he's a wounded animal the second explosion he's a lamb to the slaughter so this is kind of like one of those fights like like i said with with jessica andrade when she fought aaron blanchfield it's kind of like jessica could win but her taking a fight right out the gate after coming out of a just coming out of a fight could be detrimental to her just like it could be detrimental to gilbert burns but it's a fun fight it's a it's a definitely fun fight uh oh shit Aljamain sterling versus henry cejudo okay so this fight is pretty much like i said about john jones when he fought cyril gone luke rockhold when he fought paulo costa Aljamain sterling when he fought tj dillashaw one fighter could look really good one fighter could look really bad this fight, it's it's one of those fights. It's not, it's it's one of those fights where it's your typical styles make fights, because both guys stylistically match up well. You know, you have Henry Cejudo who stylistically match matches up well. You know, he's you know he's coming off of a long layoff. He hasn't fought in a long time. Perfect opponent for Aljo to look good, but at the same time. Aljo stylistically matches up well for Henry Cejudo, a guy who doesn't really have that great of a striking. He primarily likes to grapple and wrestle. Perfect opponent for Cejudo to, you know, focus. Perfect opponent for Cejudo to, to look good against, you know, because he already he look good against. You know, he doesn't really have to look out for things that a, a Corey Sanhagen or a Peter Yan would give him. You know, so... The odds are in both guys' favor. You know, it's not one of those. It's not. It's not one of those super competitive fights. But it's not one of those like. It's easy to pick fights either. You know, it's it's your typical styles make fights, and this fight can go either way. So, um, I mean, looking at the scale, I, I watched the the weigh-ins, not the ceremonial weigh-ins, which I'll I'll talk about in a minute, but um. Or I'll talk about what happened after the main weigh-ins. But in the main weigh-ins, you know, Aljo looked more sunken in. He looked more tired on the scale, where Henry Cejudo looked healthy on the scale. Um, Aljo is a big guy for 135. It's no secret. Um, the last I heard, that dude walks around 170. And he's very, very muscular. Like, and that's not fat. Like, it's all muscle. He's very, very muscular. Like, when you see him, even in the octagon, when you saw him, like, even in his last fight, he looked way thicker than TJ Dillashaw. Even against Peter Yan, he looked bigger and heavier. So, you know, you have to understand, when you're putting on all that muscle and then you're cutting all that muscle, you know, you got to think, you have to understand, this guy walks around 170, 
he walks around like 170, close to 175, and he's cutting all the way down to 135. So you got to think when you're cutting all that muscle, that really affects you, you know, and we've seen the effects of it. You know, if he can't, if he can't get the finish, you know, if he can't get the finish or get you demoralized in some way, he's pretty much screwed after that. As we saw in his second fight against Peter Yan, he was strong early, but then as the fight progressed, he wasn't as strong later because, you know, that weight cut, he cuts, you know, he's cutting muscle. He's not cutting fat. So that weight cut affects his stamina, which is why he puts so much effort into getting you, taking your back and controlling you. And, you know, because he knows he doesn't, you know, he try in controlling you because he knows he doesn't have the ability to keep that pace long distance. He doesn't have the ability to keep that pace long distance, especially in a five round fight. That's why he starts relying on stalling tactics. We saw that in both the second and third fight, second and the, the first and second fight of Peter Yan. And then we saw that in previous fights as well i remember seeing that i remember his fight with brian caraway he also had some other fights that which he won where you, you saw it was the same thing too you know he puts all in all into taking you down getting that back take and if he can't take and you know if he can't get that back take he pretty much tries to stall and score points and do things like that and survive until the end which like i said it's not necessarily it's not a bad strategy it's a good strategy like it's pretty much your typical you know wrestler strategy stall and scroll stall and scroll score sorry it's your typical wrestler strategy you know stall and score points stall and score points stall and score points the, you know that's a, that's really what it is really and i mean he you know and he did that he did that he executed that very well against peter yan of course tj dillashaw you know he got the finish in that fight which that was like I said, no surprise because it was a perfect matchup for him. So he does he is very good at executing a game plan, you know, but the problem is is if the game plan doesn't go his way, he can't adapt and adjust on the fly. We saw that in his fight with Peter Yan. Hence why his plan B is to stall. Is to stall you out and try to score as much points as he can while simultaneously stalling you out. As we saw in the second fight with Peter Yan was, you know, the plan A was to get to the point with this plan A was to get that back and then and try to get Peter Yan early. And then when that failed, he went to plan B and you, you executed his plan B, which is what we also saw in the first fight. So, you know, it, like I said, this is a good fight for Henry Cejudo because he knows that Aljo's whole entire game is getting you to the ground and getting that back. That's really what his game is centered around, which, you know, which is one of the reasons why Aljo is so, you know, effective is because of the fact that everyone knows that dude is looking to take you down and get the back. So everyone acts really defensive, you know, acts really defensive because of it. So with all that being said that so with all that being said it's a good match for Cejudo but it's a good match for Aljo because Cejudo hasn't fought in a long time I mean you know two one if there's two big mitigating factors it's one thing is that Aljamain Sterling and his team you know they don't last long as champion if you look at all the guys he comes from the Matt Sarah Ray Longo team and if you look at all the guys who come from that Ray Longo team, 
they don't stay on the top of the mountain very long. They usually, they have a little bit of success and then they fall off. You know, out of all the gyms, if there is like one gym that is the, I will say they are most successful at being the underdogs and coming out on top. Okay. You know, Matt Sarah, you know, Chris Weidman, um, of course, Aljamain Sterling. And then of course, you know, you had, um, and, and then you have Ally Quinta, who he didn't win his fight against Khabib Nagamenov, but he, you know, survived. He went the distance with Khabib. But the one thing that they all have in common was after that initial success, they all started going downhill, you know. And that's the one thing with Aljamain Sterling is, you know, if you look at him, you look at his team, they don't stay on top very long. They usually, after a little bit of success, they go down the hill. good how are you you know, they usually like they usually start going downhill they start but you know it, does, it doesn't take long we saw that with chris weidman you know two title defenses he was done aljo you know after you know aljo i mean i'm mean, sorry ally quinta as soon as he had that fight with khabib he had like one really good fight against you know uh kevin lee and then he just, and it was just all downhill from there. Like it was, it was, he was done. Like it was all just, he was, he pretty much was back to, you know, he was pretty much back to where he was, you know, pretty much a, a jobber. Um, same thing, Matt Sarah, you know, he was on top, pretty much started going downhill. Wasn't that, wasn't as successful as you know, once he reached the top, he started going downhill, not discrediting success, not discrediting any of their success. I'm just saying that they're good at making it to the top. They're not good at staying there long term. That's the problem with all those guys from Matt Sarah and Ray Longo's team is that they're good at staying on top, but they're not good at staying long term. So when it comes to Aljamain Sterling, you have to understand he may be right now. He's at the top. The question is, can he stay at the top long term, you know, and long term? And that's the million dollar question. You know, if he gets past this fight, he's on top a little longer. But if he loses, well, it's kind of pretty much the the story of the Matt Sarah Ray Longo team. Longo team, sorry, the guys who make it to the top but they can't stay long. You know that's, you know, which is the story with AKA. You know, but you know, but the difference is, is Ray Longo's team is the notorious for under being the underdog and coming out on top, and that's what they're known for. Um, Henry Cejudo. You know, for for him, you know, for Henry Cejudo, you know, uh, what was I going to say? For Henry Cejudo, you know, that long layoff, you know, it, it really plays a factor, you know. Yes, he was working with other fighters and trading with other fighters, but, <clears throat> sorry, there's a huge difference between consistently training and then training for a period of time yes he was training he was working with yuri provaska he was working with john jones he was working with mighty mouse but the question is was he training before they came and was was he training before they came you know was he training and was was he training before and after they came or was or did he just 
get back to training when he learned that they wanted to work with him. You know, because that's something people have to take in consideration. If he was training before and after they came, well, then the ring rust isn't going to really mean shit. But if he was only training when those guys showed up, well, then, I mean, well, this is, this could be, I mean, well, Cejudo's going down. Um, you know, I will say, though, he, his team, you know, he, he puts together a very strong team, you know, and his team has gotten results, as we've seen. And he's a very motivated guy, and he's a very, you know, he's a very technical, strategic guy. You know, I've watched some of his his breakdowns on, you know, on YouTube, and they're good breakdowns. So you can tell this guy really does his homework. He really puts his all in all. He really, you know, and he seems very motivated to come back, which is no surprise because this is the perfect matchup for him. So you know, that mitigating factor is the fact of, you know, what was he really doing during that time off, you know, was he, what was he really doing during that time off, you know, and was he being consistent with it all the way up until the fight, you know, um, you know, it's, you know, so once again, whoever wins, it's, it's, it's not a surprise, you know, whoever wins, it's not a surprise, but, you know, at the same time, though, it's it's one of those things like you can't really call either one the greatest. Like a lot of people are trying to say that if Henry Cejudo wins, he's up there with GSP and John Jones, which is not true. You know, the, the, the thing is, is like not not true. Like Henry Cejudo, to be up there with the MMA Mount Rushmore, you have to do something that separates from yourself from the pack. You can't do what has already been done or what people are have been doing since day one. You have to do something that nobody else has done. And Henry Cejudo has pretty much done everything that everybody else has done. You know, beat the pound for pound best, become a two-division champion, you know, coming back and returning and looking to become win and become a world champion after a long layoff. It's already been done. It's been done by Cruz. It's done by St. Pierre. It, you know, we saw Jones do it. Um, you know, Randy Couture, even before that, did it. Uh, I mean... Even Matt Sarah did it, you know, even Matt Sarah and Matt Hughes did it, you know, who took like long layoffs and returned and came back in amazing fashion. Um, a lot of fighters. There was a lot of fighters who've already done it. And there's even fighters who've come back and won world titles. So, I mean, you know, him winning this is kind of like it's it, and, and same thing. And like, you know, Aljamain Sterling, if he wins this, of course, you got the weasel and a couple other people saying, oh, if he wins, he's the greatest bantamweight of all time. And it's like, no, the fuck he's not. I mean, he hasn't done anything to make himself the greatest bantamweight of all time, nor has he put himself up there. Like, once again, he's done the same thing that has been done before, you know, beat a scary individual twice you know, fight a big name and then potentially fight another big name and beat him, all the things that have been done before, you know, all things that have been done before, not just at 135, but in other weight classes, so, but, of course, that's how the UFC is selling it, that's how they're gonna sell it, whoever wins, especially because Mighty Mouse is fighting tonight, and you know that because he's fighting tonight, the UFC is going to want to overshadow it. And especially, you have to understand, they're banking on Mighty Mouse losing. They want Mighty Mouse to lose because if he loses, well, then they can get the big push. That's why, you know, and if he wins, you know, definitely they're going to put a lot of eggs in their basket in pushing the winner of the Cejudo-Aljo fight because, of course, everyone's going to say, 
Mighty Mouse is the pound for pound best, but of course people are gonna argue and say no, Cejudo is the pound for pound best, or Aljo is the pound for pound best, fuck Mighty Mouse, blah 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 blah. So we we kind of already know, we you know it's no surprise that this fight was like right after the Mighty Mouse fight the very next day, which is tomorrow. You know that's how the UFC always does it. They always try to put an event that overshadows. I mean, but personally, I don't think this event is going to overshadow one championship. I think one championship is going to outdo it the same way bare knuckle boxing outdid the UFC fight night last week. So all in all, um, one thing I wanted to point out though, in this, which I found very interesting. And it's funny because, you know, you got crackhead fans all trying to side with Aljamain Sterling is, let me see if I can find it. So there was an altercation between Aljamain Sterling and Henry Cejudo's team at the at the at the main weigh-ins, not the ceremonial. And here we'll listen to it. So, pretty much, Sohudo's team was, you know, when Aljamain Sterling got on the scale, Sohudo's team was cheering for Sohudo, booing Aljo, and Aljo got butthurt, and so was his team. So, here's the thing. Aljo and his team getting upset at what they can, you know... Aljamain Sterling and his team getting upset at the heckling is completely hypocritical. And you want to know why? Is because Aljo and his fucking team does the exact same thing. And if you don't believe me, look up the Marab versus Peter Yan fight. The entire fight, Marab was talking shit. He was heckling. He was being an asshole. He almost started an altercation with Peter Yan at the fucking weigh-ins, and even after the fight, continued to talk shit, calling Peter Yon a little boy, telling him, I hope he learned his lesson, and the whole nine yards, and we saw Aljo do the same thing in his fight with Peter Yon, as well, his fight with TJ Dillashaw, so, what's funny is, is like, it's, it's pretty much, 
it's a bitch move by Aljo and his team to sit there and cry about respect, but yet here they are disrespecting, but yet here they are disrespecting guys like Peter Yan, TJ Dillashaw, and other opponents that they fought, and even after the fight, continued to talk shit and disrespect them after the fight. You know, we saw, you know, we all saw the post-fight you know, interviews that they did after they won their recent fights, you know, Aljamain and especially Marab, you know, what did he say, you know, saying, you know, telling Peter, saying to the, to the press, to, to the, to the, um, to the reporters that he hopes, you know, Peter Yan, the little boy learned his lesson, you know, yeah, exactly, and even even before the fights, we saw him acting like a douchebag and talking shit and, you know, instigate and trying to instigate problems with Peter Yan. I mean, it, it's, you know, and like, I, and as I pointed out, Aljo has done the same thing too. So this is a clear case if, th this is one of those clear cases, don't dish it if you can't take it, okay? If you don't like heckling from the other person's team and you don't like the trash talking, then don't fucking trash talk and heckle yourself, okay? Practice what you preach. So what Marab and Aljo need to do is they need to get on the phone or get on Instagram or find Peter Yan or if they see him anywhere at a UFC event, apologize to him, apologize to all the fighters that they heckled and talk shit on and say, hey, I'm sorry, you know, for heckling you and, and trying to instigate problems with you. You know, you weren't disrespecting me. I shouldn't have disrespected you. And it's ridiculous for me to sit there and complain about respect and bitch about being heckled. But here I am. But here me and my guy are doing the exact same thing that we bitch about that's pretty much the gist of it you know it's just it's hypocrisy at its best and you know it's just and and this is one of the reasons why it's like you got to understand it's like and that's one of the reasons why it's like most guys you know there, there's a lot of guy. most guys most today's fighters they're only trash talking to put up a front they're, they're that's not really who they that's not really who they are like, a good example would be, like, Nate Diaz, Nate, the Diaz brothers, right? Those guys, when they talk shit, that's who they are. That's what they're about, you know, versus, like, someone like Kobe Covington, who that's not who he is. That's not what he's about, but he's doing it because it gets some attention and, you know, everyone goes, ooh, ah, and all that shit. You know, you know, real recognizes real, and you know, Aljo and his team are not real. So for Aljo and his team to be upset at the heckling, well, practice what you preach, you know, don't sit there and bitch about being heckled, but yet here you and, but here you are, you and your teammate Marab were heckling Peter Yan, talking shit to Peter Yan, starting fights back, trying to start starting fights backstage with Peter Yan, both in his, both his and Marab's fight. It wasn't just in Marab's fight, but it was also in Aljamain Sterling's second fight where he tried to start where he tried to start some shit but then here you are bitching and whining and saying oh my god show some fucking respect and blah 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 and i'm tired of the trash talk motherfucker well, then why were you trash talking peter yan why were you and your team heckling peter yan why was your boy marab acting like a douchebag pre and post fight you know we all heard what he said he called peter yan a little boy and said he hopes he learned his lesson and peter yan didn't talk shit at all you know, hell, Peter Young wasn't even talking shit in the lead up to the fucking into into either lead up of the Aljamain Sterling fights. But but, you know, all of a sudden it's a problem when somebody talks back. And this is one of the things that really sticks out to me when it sticks out to me, because 
if a fighter can't handle the trash talk and the heckling be, being thrown back at them when they're known for trash talking and heckling themselves, that could mean a lot. That could be an issue, especially because, as you saw in the ceremonial weigh-ins, Henry Cejudo got right in his grill, talked a lot of shit, you know, and more importantly, he touched Aljamain Sterling, you know, he, he smacked Aljamain Sterling's hand, Aljamain Sterling pushed him, and this is kind of similar to that of Diaz and Conor McGregor, where Conor got in Diaz's grill, Diaz smacked Conor's hand, and then Conor got emotional and crazy, and that's kind of what we're starting, and that's kind of similar to what we're seeing here, so, I mean, this may not be this may be a one, so this may definitely play a factor, but with that being said, it is hypocritical, but I mean, place your bets, have your fun, drink your liquor, happy Cinco de Mayo, and goodbye, and Cinco de Mayo, and have a good night, and enjoy, you know, one, one fight night, one championships fight night, as well as enjoy the wonderful you know, UFC event, if you watch the UFC event tomorrow, oh yeah, and then Canelo, of course, is fighting as well, which we all know Canelo's gonna win that, so I don't even know why, I, I, I don't know why the fuck I'm gonna even remotely try to break that down, but I will check out the highlights, um, yeah, if, you know, if anybody out there, you know, the Instagram is podcast you know, Bad Motherfuckers Podcast, if you want to look at, you know, find me on Spotify, Apple, and pretty much every other podcast platform, um, you can find me on Instagram, message me on Instagram, you can message me on Spotify as well, um, you know, leave a review, if you want to come on the podcast, you want to, you know, come on the podcast, message me on, you know, message me on Spotify or Instagram, and, you know, I will come to you, you know, whether you're in the area or across state lines, wherever you're at, I will come to you, you know, we will set up a day, we'll set up a time, and, you know, and we'll get it going, or you can come to me, or we can video chat, but either way, shoot a message, there you go, happy single to mile.